Welcome to Green Tea, sustainable stories from Bowdoin's campus and beyond. My name is Holden Turner. And I'm Juliette Min. Green Tea is a production of the Office of Sustainability at Bowdoin College, sharing the perspectives of students, staff, and community members. Okay, so today we're here with Emil Cuevas. Emil uh, works in the facilities side of Bowdoin. Emil, could you just introduce yourself and tell us a little about where you fit in at Bowdoin right now? Sure. So my name is Emil Cuevas. Uh, I'm the Associate Director for Facilities, Operations, and Maintenance. And I joined the college in January, so I've been here a couple months. Um, the facilities team, as you know, does many things on campus, supporting the, the college's mission and from landscaping all the way to housekeeping, and I'm really excited to join the team and, and work uh, with other team members. But also, I'm really interested in sustainability, and there's a lot of ongoing efforts on campus that I'm hoping to get involved in. Yeah, can you tell us more about sustainability and how you got involved in that? Sure. So I, I had kind of a long, longish uh, academic career, um, starting in engineering first, and during my my last uh, year in. in college I took a class on building technology and I was always interested in architecture and had spent uh, a number of years or semesters taking classes within the architecture department whether it was visual arts or, or other courses history courses and that just building technology really kind of changed everything for me what I was thinking about my career path academic path and it, it was a really kind of interesting course in that I joined the, the technical aspects of engineering uh, with architecture through science and math in order to make buildings more efficient and that really was attractive for me and it, it essentially changed the, my grad school applications and then what I wanted to do uh, with my career and I, ever since I've been trying to kind of merge both disciplines of, of building design and the engineering side through the lens of, our, of sustainability and making buildings more efficient and even now going beyond that, looking at healthy materials and other aspects that affect, you know, well-being or even productivity. Yeah. What about the design and the systems um, lens of looking at the world really strikes you? So I, I think the interesting thing is that there's so many little things you can do very early on in the design process of a building that have a huge impact on the performance side. And I'm particularly interested in the passive strategy. So things as simple as building orientation so you're facing the right way from a, from a sun angle point of view to where your windows and, and your openings are located for ventilation and, and so those, those ideas unfortunately happen first on the design architecture side and later on is when engineering teams join the design process and then begin influencing where systems are located siphoning and things like that and so I, I felt that in order to have a bigger impact I had to be involved as early as possible in the design process to see how I could have, how those ideas can become part of the project from start to finish. Is there a specific project that you took part in as someone who did both the design and maybe the engineering as well that you feel particularly proud of or happy to share about? <laughs> uh, w one of the, the most interesting projects that I worked on uh, in my previous job at Harvard University, uh, we were developing a brand new district facility for the expanding Austin campus. So Harvard's in Cambridge. Uh, the, the main campus is in Cambridge, but across the Charles River in Boston, uh, in the Austin neighborhood, there's a business school and a lot of land that the university owns that they're currently expanding to kind of create a bridge between engineering, uh, business, and entrepreneurship. And so 
because the main campus, similar to here, is fed by steam for heating, they wanted to build uh, a smaller district-sized facility that could serve that expanding campus. And so I luckily had the chance to, to join that team and I was more in a project management role, but had a chance to influence you know, some of the sustainability decisions that were made early on, but also be a part of like, this incredible new uh, building that's gonna serve a very energy efficient campus moving forward. So that's, that's a project that you worked on while you were at Harvard. When you were in school, what sorts of projects were you doing for class and for the whole um, design and engineering program that you were part of? When, when I was in architecture school, I think that's where I, I, I kind of worked on projects that were more geared towards, towards what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Um, a lot of the projects that I worked on, I was really interested in the idea of reusing materials or having minimal impact on a site. And yeah. so a lot of the my early projects kind of had that sensibility throughout where I worked on a, a boathouse for a river in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I was thinking about how can that boathouse kind of, you know, merge with the environment and, and have a minimal footprint while at the same time being a, a, an actual structure that serves a, a physical purpose. And uh, just kind of trying to think through that process and thinking of, of how you can, you know, the design of, of a building can really be influenced by those parameters. I think architecture school, a lot of new ideas, people are thinking about space in different ways, or even technology, how, how you build a, a building can influence how you, how you actually design it. And so I try to use sustainability or that thinking throughout my, my, my design process and seeing how those ideas will develop from that starting point. Have you seen more and more technology or like technologically enhanced buildings come on the scene recently? Absolutely. I think not only the, the material or construction techniques are changing with 3D printing and, and all these new manufacturing processes, but also the tools that designers are using to make this, these design decisions. Um, I recently met with some architects and they're using um, parametric modeling in order to determine how you know, long an overhang should be to provide the right amount of shade in the summer and allowing enough light to penetrate in the winter. And, those were tools that were not necessarily available several years ago to design teams or they were interested in using them and so it's really refreshing to see how uh, design firms are really changing how they think and how they're tackling uh, problems and using technology or, or new tools to get to that point. What about uh, any new ideas within the industry that I think one of the, the main things, and it's something that has been definitely a learning process for me, is the, the materials side. I, I'm really interested in energy and water consumption. That's been kind of my interest for a long time. But when uh, Harvard began to change how they were thinking about uh, interior spaces and what the, the broader definition of sustainability meant, looking at uh, healthy environments, and I'm not a chemist, and I, I did not have as much interest in materials as I do now, but it's a really interesting field to be in because you're you're affecting other aspects of sustainability that go beyond a building's performance and it's all about the, the occupant the user and so that that's definitely a field that that's growing and it, it, the interesting thing is that manufacturers are are adjusting uh, uh ingredients in their products and being more transparent about what's in a paint product or, or in, a, in a wall material but um, the, the funny thing is that they're going back to more minimalist products, less finishes and, and coats and, 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 and uh, 
thinking about simpler solutions rather than modifying complex products, which mm -hmm. is kind of interesting to see. Yeah, which lends itself to a certain style. Exactly, yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, not, it doesn't always work in every single environment. Um, for example, some lab spaces or healthcare spaces, you might need a, a specific finish because of, you know, robustness or yeah. um, just whatever uh, science or, or, or pro process is being run there. Um, and, and so there, there's limitations in some uh, instances, but that only creates kind of a challenge for additional opportunities and more creative ideas to solve those obstacles. <laughs> Bring it all sorts of fun sounds in the background. Yeah. Can we talk about your transition to Bowdoin? Um, so you just arrived at Bowdoin this January. Um, what made you want to work here and uh, how are you enjoying it so far? So there are many drivers in that decision. I think um, I've always been interested in the opportunity of living in Maine. I think it, it's a really wonderful state with lots of amenities and from outdoors to the coast. and. Um, I, I liked, I really enjoyed working on the college environment for, for the last uh, seven and a half years. And part of that is because uh, being in school for so long, I was really interested in, in being in academia and, and I had an opportunity to teach uh, some courses as well. And uh, I think working in a college environment, you're able to be a part of that process. Even if you're on the building or facility side, you're still part of that mission of academia. So that was one of the main things that attracted me to being in a college or university environment. Um, this opportunity uh, came up uh, to transition more on the facility side. And at Harvard, I had been a project manager for four years and was really interested in, in, in being more involved in the existing building side. Because new construction is wonderful and you get an opportunity to build something from the ground up. But I think if we really want to have a bigger impact on the environment, we have to look at what's already here and existing and how we can improve operations and improve renovations from that standpoint and this seemed to be a perfect fit from a job description standpoint and then being located in Maine and Brunswick was just kind of the cherry on top of the cake. Just striking what you said about having to work with what we have because you're right it, it wouldn't make sense or would not be sustainable in any way to destroy what we have in order to build a new each time we're hoping to change something. Exactly and there's so many opportunities to reuse existing uh, buildings and a lot of them have been built in, in a great way you know thinking about the technology that they did not have at the time and so there's many benefits of reusing and also the, the historical nature of preserving that piece is i think really critical and a great kind of design challenge to incorporate as well yeah it's like what people talk about when they say a building has good bones exactly yeah <laughs> so they, they definitely were making good decisions way way back in the day and, and kind of see it with, with the bricks here you know a lot of buildings that are, are, are fairly old but are in really good shape and they perform very well and i think the students from what i heard love them so that's, that's a great sign yeah well we know that you have been working on some really cool projects when you were at Bowdoin. um i think one thing we talked about with keisha was the computing system and how you're planning to transition us um towards that so can you explain a little bit more and um, what's, on, what's going on in your mind as you Sure. So, the, and I think this is a topic that's kind of happening everywhere. It was happening at Harvard right before I left and many other colleges uh, in, in Western Mass and uh, around Maine as well. And it's how do we 
kind of phase out fossil fuels. And the main challenge is that the fuel that serves our heating systems is natural gas in most cases or oil. And so the challenge there is we need to electrify that system so we can eventually either uh, offset it through carbon offsets or, or renewable energy credits or have uh, solar power or renewable systems that you know serve the campus from an electricity standpoint. And the main challenge there is with older campus like this one and Harvard is transitioning from steam to a low temperature hot water. And the project that I was involved at Harvard, this district energy facility did just that. They, they were using 140 degree uh, low temperature hot water that they're distributing underground through large pipes to uh, one science building that was coming up online and then future connections for other buildings in the future. And there's a huge benefit there uh, from an energy standpoint in terms of being much more efficient. There's fewer losses compared to steam. Um, and a lot of flexibility too with, you know, what is, you know, powering that system. And that's one of the things that I like the most about it is that, you know, you can connect an electric boiler, you can connect a ground source heat pump using the, the, the ground as your heat sink uh, or heat source. Um, and it doesn't matter, you know, the, the end, the, the system serving the, the overall distribution network does not matter, but the overall product is the same. So you're using hot water to condition buildings. And so, Right now, we're, we're looking at potential alternatives for that, and this is a very large campus. How can we, you know, create a pilot program where we're also that we can uh, implement in a number of buildings and then slowly transition as we move forward? Yep. What and, are some of those buildings that you're planning to um, work on uh, first? So we're, we're looking at it from a, a couple um, uh, see, approaches. Uh, from a, a, a steam plant approach, we already have an, an good network of tunnels and trenches that serve existing buildings so we're trying to reuse as much of that as possible and one of the, the really interesting loops is actually connecting the bricks and then over to Searles there's a nice network of tunnels that we can use to begin transitioning those buildings to uh, a low temperature hot water and the other benefit too is that the, the six bricks that we're looking at have already been updated from an envelope standpoint so that they, they work fairly well uh, and could uh, heat the spaces with that lower temperature water. Another loop that we're considering that might have a, a bigger impact from an energy standpoint is the Cleveland Quad Loop, which connects the science buildings. And the benefit there being that the science buildings are the biggest energy users on campus. And so if we can begin more aggressively targeting those, we'll have a bigger reduction in energy consumption. And if we can tackle those, we can certainly tackle residence halls, offices, and other spaces that are less energy intensive. What's the, the thinking behind using a ground, like a geothermal heat sink source or a air heat sink source? What are the different benefits and drawbacks there? The ground source is really amazing in that it helps you, the systems help provide both heating and cooling. Wow. In the winter time, the, the ground temperature, or I guess all year round, the ground temperature is fairly consistent and it's at a higher temperature than the outside air during the winter time and so it serves as a heat source when you're pumping uh, water into those wells to ex extract heat uh, through heat exchange with the ground. In the summer the reverse happens where the ground temperature is cooler and you're bringing uh, a higher temperature water into the ground and doing a heat exchange or heat transfer from the, the water you're, you're, you're bringing in into the ground. And so that heat exchange allows you to bring uh, cooler water uh, into your building system and use it for cooling. And so that's a, 
a really interesting approach where you're using a almost infinite uh, resource, which is the ground. Um, you do have to have that balance in order to make sure that you're not uh, permanently uh, modifying the ground temperatures. And so you, you have to both use it for heating and cooling, which is one of the, the challenges there. Um, a lot of the buildings on campus, as you know, are not cooled. And, and so you know, if, if we're moving in that direction, that would be a, kind of a bigger commitment to provide additional cooling for buildings that currently are not cooled. But definitely a great opportunity because I know there's just buildings that would be in more use throughout the summer if cooling was available. So that's, that's a good transition there. Uh, an air source uh, heat pump kind of functions in a very similar way where you're using the, the difference in the air temperature as your kind of heat source or heat sink or cooling source uh, in, in that fashion. So similar technologies, maybe more efficiency on the ground side. Um, and one of the, the great aspects of it is that it's fully electrical. You're just wow. using a, a pump to uh, move water into these wells in the ground to extract uh, heat or a dump heat into the ground. So that's wow. one of the benefits there. That's fantastic. It's almost like the campus is currently in a um, kind of gas-powered or hybrid type of car mode and you're trying to switch it all electric. <laughs> exactly, yeah, absolutely. Because once we, we make that big step, then you know what, where our electricity comes from, we have many options there. And so the main step is, is slowly removing fossil fuel use and transitioning to that um, electric source. And we, we do have you know more complicated spaces that we're not targeting yet, but uh, kitchens, for example, have process loads that rely on steam. And so um, th those are uh, kind of key concerns that we have in terms of how do we address that later down the line. And then also uh, having a more robust electrical distribution system. Right now, you know, CMP uh, ha has some, uh, you know, has some issues in the state of Maine and, and, and there are some uh, reliability uh, concerns. And if we wanted to go fully electric, we definitely have to expand uh, our electrical system in order to serve the campus. So there's some things that we'd have to work with them as well to, in order to make that full transition. Yeah. There's so many factors that go into, into this. <laughs> Is it, is it exciting for you to have kind of a kind of wicked problem to deal with? Absolutely. <laughs> I think, you know, when you're tackling these problems, there's so many, you know, we, you can think of them as, as limits or constraints, but also design parameters. You're trying to work within these uh, constraints within the campus that both inform your design, but also help you create creative solutions that can kind of get you over those obstacles. And so, you know, obviously in an ideal world where, you know, budgets are, are infinite and, and we get new construction all year round. That would be great, but that's not the, the, the reality. And so working through those challenges is part of the exciting uh, uh, piece of being engaged in this type of project. Um, I, well, it sounds like you're spending a lot of time thinking about this project. Are there any other big questions or ideas for this campus that you are currently mulling, mulling about? I, I, I came from Harvard with a lot of interesting ideas that um, as, a, as a new person, I'm really interested in learning how the campus operates before I say, hey, let's do this or change that. <laughs> yeah. um, but there's definitely a lot of opportunities. Um, I'm really interested in uh, enhancing metering on campus so we know, uh, you know more precisely or accurately how much energy uh, each building is consuming. And if, if, you, if you don't measure, it's really difficult to manage. And so it's really important in my mind to have a really robust understanding of our consumption throughout. Um, on, a, on a more, maybe not le not as sustainable, but more kind of big picture uh, thinking, um, 
uh, at Harvard, I was working on an initiative with bringing uh, more minority and women-owned business enterprises to campus. Um, and, and from the capital projects team, we had a lot of influence because we were hiring contractors, we were hiring uh, design teams, and so uh, we were trying to put together a very strong, robust list of teams in Massachusetts that we could hire that were local and say, hey, you know, we're bringing a minority-owned engineering firm and a woman-owned contracting company to do this project and really start changing the market and giving opportunities to other firms that might not have that exposure. And so I, I think in Maine and in Bowdoin, we have that same opportunity here. And it's a matter of bringing new, new folks on campus and really creating more opportunity. Um, in, in that effort, we, we really learned that a lot of it was really exposure. You know, firms didn't know that we were having projects available, so being more transparent and communicating. And, and also a lot of the contractual requirements that some smaller firms might not be able to sign on to to work at the university, but they were already thinking, how can we modify contracts or processes to make it easier for other firms to work on campus? So that's one that I'm really interested in, and it's, it's not necessarily tied to performance, sustainability, but I think as a campus, it would be great to have that influence and be able to change how, how we operate here. I think it is tied to a little bit of sustainability when we're talking about the larger idea of sustaining our communities and um, looking for a, a, I mean, just from an economics point of view, a, a more diverse set of businesses in the main landscape is better for everyone. No? Exactly. And after the, the year we've had, you know, it, it's really easy to kind of think, you know, be, think that you're helpless, that there's not much you can do in, in kind of the broader picture of things. And so I kind of latched onto this idea because it, it felt like a, a real way where I could engage professionally yeah. in, in a meaningful way and begin to create change, whether small or, or big, and influence how, how our campus uh, operates. And so that, that helps me feel like I'm trying to contribute a little bit more to this kind of bigger effort. This is a question that we ask all of our podcast guests. That's that's a great question. Um, I, I think the my my main idea or definition of sustainability has been consistent throughout, but it's changed uh, kind of more recently because I see it as how can we be in a balance with the environment where we're um, reducing or eliminating impact at, at all, any way we can, and, and that kind of extends from our behavior as you know, citizens of the world or occupants of buildings to you know what we do from a building design and construction perspective but now with where we are currently on the environmental side uh, you know breaking even is no longer sufficient and so I know a lot of uh, uh, entities are kind of talking about uh, being more regenerative where you're contributing more than you're taking and I really like that definition because if you're thinking at it from, a, from an energy standpoint you have a, a renewable energy system that produces more than your building consumes and you're able to offset not just what your building is doing but beyond and from a from a personal standpoint if you can do little things that you know, go beyond from a, you know being uh, eating vegetarian throughout the week or selecting where you purchase your products or uh, trying to stay as local as possible and having a bigger impact on that side you can begin to slowly chip away and offset other damaging things that unfortunately we cannot change like air travel or things like that so really thinking about how can we go above and beyond what you know breaks even to something that we're contributing more and, and using much less.
That's a very good systems view approach of the whole thing, and I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Easier said than done, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. Over the course of the spring 2021 semester, Green Tea will be sharing stories from students, staff, and community members around Bowdoin College. Stay tuned for more episodes, and thanks for listening.